Hello and welcome to another episode of Point of Insanity Game Studios Geekery in General Podcast. I am Al and joining me today, my good friend Dan from the Radio Free Borderlands Podcast. How are you doing tonight, Dan? I'm, I'm, I'm good. How's everybody else? Well, they can't answer. Yeah, they, they can't answer, but hey, you could always like, you know, go to either Point of Insanity Game Studios Facebook page or you could go to even if you wanted to, you could look up Radio Free Borderlands on Facebook, and you could. Or if go I to wanted our, an answer, I could just go next door and knock on the door, and they'd be like, "Hey," and I'd go, "Hey, how's it going?" <laughs> yes, I will go out and find all my listeners. Go to your door and go, "Hey, how's it going?" Well, but, I just meant like you know, ask the neighbors. Okay, and of course, like I said, if if you're having a good day, then please feel free to stop by our, either of our Facebook pages and say, "Hey, I'm having a good day." If you're not having a good day, well. Uh, post it if you want, but will you have our condolences? My day was actually kind of crummy today. How was your day? Uh, well, it had its ups and downs. Yeah, I, I know. Everyone has those days where it's up and down. And hopefully, uh, when you all listen to this episode, you're going to notice a better sound quality because I'm switching to a USB headset instead of my old, uh, my old, you know, regular stereo ones. So I did an episode... That was actually, I just posted at, right before we began recording, uh, an 8-bit flashback of The Legend of Zelda. And actually, I noticed a bit of a sound quality yeah. I difference. I mean, I personally don't really like the sound of my voice, but... Eh. I don't think anybody, and I'm not saying, I don't think anybody like, dislike, you know, likes yours. That's not what I'm saying. So I, I don't think anybody likes the sound of their own voice. Yeah. I really don't. That's, well, okay, I can think of somebody, but... That's true. I mean, I think a lot of people... I mean, I'm sure Morgan Freeman, you know, he loves the sound of his voice because everyone loves the sound of their voice. And uh, I, I don't know how many YouTube shows you watch, but do you ever watch Mark... Well, those people like the sound of their own voice. Yes. Well, some of them are actually really good speakers. I mean, did you ever watch Markiplier, any of his episodes? Nah, you know, I, 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 I normally use uh, um, YouTube to... to Watch old TV shows that I missed. <laughs> or, uh, hey, I remember this music video. Let's see if I can find it and watch it for free. Yeah. I mean, I I've, I watch a few of Markiplier's videos every now and then. Usu- I have to admit, usually I don't really care about the game he's playing. I just like listening to him talk because he's a really good speaker. So, anyways... That is not what we're here to talk about, but we are here to talk about video games, and this was actually your idea you suggested, and I thought it actually sounded like it'd be a pretty cool idea, and this episode is going to be totally off the cuff. We don't have an outline or anything we're going up by, but... That's what they like. Yes. (laughs) So, shooting from the hip today, and you had the idea to do an episode about... Let's look back at the 8-bit era, and, you know, this actually fits in rather nicely to that three-part series we did about Mm -hmm. the console wars. And we talked about, of course, how video games evolved and how, you know, it went from the having a crap load of systems back in, like, the, you know, late 70s to early 80s, and then the number of systems out there slowly started to... uh, you know, to go down. So there, there's really only three major home systems right now with, you know, of course, the Xbox, PlayStation, and the Nintendo Wii. So, uh, you know, and of course, we also looked at how... I, I will say this, though. Can I just throw this oh, in Oh, yeah. Here? Go ahead. Yeah, there, there were a ton of uh, game systems back in the early 80s, late 70s. But let's be totally honest. There were still only about six real games. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And again, we just for those of you who may not have listened to it, that's one of the things we talked about in part one, where it was like the, um, you know, usually it's the same general game, uh, a dot mm-hmm. bouncing back and forth between two paddles. And it's like, okay, we're going to speed it up a little bit. Now we're oh, going to sure. call it hockey. Now we're going to slow it down and call it volleyball. But it's essentially the same thing. And And, and don't take... Don't take the Razzing too seriously. These are the games that uh, these are the first sets of games that I remember playing way back in the day. You know the old Atari games and stuff. It's 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 said with uh, with fond memories. Yes, it is. We're not not ripping on it. We we enjoyed those games. So 
so yeah, this topic though does actually fit in nicely to that 8-bit wars. And now I don't know if I remember asking you about this, but uh, again, going back to another earlier episode, uh, Steve and I, we did our two-parter changing technology mm-hmm. where we, of course, discussed how, you know, during our lifetime, we've just seen incredible advances in home electronics and technology. I mean, you remember, well, do you remember the first computer you ever got? Like with whether it's a family computer, even. Well, I'm gonna be honest with you. My 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 old man was pretty. I don't want to call him cheap, but uh, he was Stingy. cheap. Yeah, he um he he didn't like the idea of spending you know a couple thousand dollars on a home PC. So they got we my family got their first computer as, as I was moving out for college. <laughs> well, we've got our first computer in '93, and the only reason we got it is because my mom had an educator's discount. But you know, but we've seen you know video games go from like the Atari with blocks moving around on the screen to super realistic games like on the Xbox and the PlayStation and. Uh, you know, you think about TVs, we saw it go from black and white to mm-hmm. gorgeous high definition. And, you know, we've seen all these changes and, you know, again, mu- portable music players. Remember, we used to have the Walkman with the, you know, 90 minute tapes. And now it's like we've got our iPods and MP3 I, I players. I used to my iPod or my uh, Walkman somewhere. I, I don't know if I still have one. It, it's probably broken. I don't know if it would still work. But, you know, I said we go off from where we watch these media players, uh, you know, where I said it was uh, tapes that would hold like about an hour to an hour and a half of music. Now we've got our MP3 players that can hold literally days worth of music. So here's a question I want to ask you, because this is something Steve and I discussed. And But how do you feel, I mean, about these changing technologies are – are you kind of glad that you had a chance to watch technology evolve or are you kind of jealous of some of the video games and computers and MP3 players that our kids have? Yes and no. I think it was fun sitting back and checking it out and going, yeah, that's awesome. You know, I remember this and how great we thought it was. And and now that's, uh, you know, seen as passe at best. Um, jealous? Not necessarily. I guess in some cases, especially with video games, I don't necessarily feel like the the improved technology has done anything for the games themselves. Yeah, it's uh, you know, you know, your game still stinks if you don't come up with a decent story. Mm-hmm. What about some other things like with computers and such? Your so are you glad that you kind of had a chance to watch how you know computers and other things evolved? Or yeah, I think. I think the most like shocked, amazed I was was um, going from a 56k modem to the day when I installed um, cable modem. Oh yeah, it, and just yeah, the difference. Yeah, and I, I'm sure that's one thing. Uh, people our age, we do not miss the dial-up speeds and the. Uh, I'd have to say that there are some things I wish we had when we were kids. I mean, both of us were fond of taking lots of walks back when we were, we were younger. I would have loved to have had an MP3 player back then. But when it comes to some things like video games, I have to say I'm I'm and I don't know, I think you're probably of the same mindset. It is kind of cool that we did have a chance to see games evolve because we could we could appreciate the things we had. I mean, we can look at games like, you know, Mar- Super Mario Maker. You know, we can look at a game like that, and can we we can look back at the Super Mario Brothers we played for the 8-bit Nintendo, and mm-hmm. we can appreciate how far all of that's come. So, and that, that game is still a challenge in yep. some ways. And the other thing I think that was kind of cool about where when we grew up and how we got to witness these changes, we could always think, what's next? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, I mean, I think that lately with like, you know, going from like Xbox 360 to Xbox, you know, the X-Bone, you know, to going from PlayStation 3 to PlayStation 4, I don't think there's been as much of an, a leap forward. I could be wrong on that. I haven't seen too many X-Bone or PS4 games uh, and I haven't had a chance to really compare them to PS3 and Xbox 360. So, mm-hmm. like I said, I might be wrong on that, but 
it's not I like have, I'm gonna be honest. I don't notice the difference between them. I can see the difference between the PS2 and the PS3, but mm-hmm. after that, it, well, it I don't see it. And I'm not saying it's not there. I'm saying that maybe, maybe I don't know. Maybe we're getting old. Maybe, <laughs> but this you know some of that stuff we were talking about does actually bring us back into our topic nicely since we got a little off track there. But eh, oh well. And again, the the purpose of today's show, we're going to take a look back at the 8-bit era and how some of these games have really been influential and how there are some people who think that that era is probably the golden age of uh, home console games and how these games have been so influential even to the current day. And, and, you know, Alan and I here... um... We are part of uh, Generation X who, in a lot of ways, we were the first generation that really grew up with the modern with the modern video game. That is true. You know, we were you know, we were in elementary school when you had the Atari and later on, you know, we got we got all the other ones. That is, and, that is true, because as we discussed in our console wars episodes, you know, especially the first one. A lot of the games before the Atari 2600, most of those systems didn't have the swappable cartridges. Mm-hmm. You know, you had the, like the Pong console where, you know, it was just the the minor variations. And again, if you have a chance, go to YouTube and look up the uh, Angry Video Game Nerd because he does a good episode about the Pong consoles and how they were just trying to find all these different variations of the same basic game. And the nice thing about when, yeah, when we did move to the Atari and you did have those swappable cartridges, mm-hmm. it was a, doesn't seem significant now, but that was actually a pretty big leap forward for us back then. Yeah. And, you know, part of that was the simple fact that, um, you know, in the mid to late seventies, the, the cost of circuit boards was insane, mm-hmm. you know, as opposed to where they are now. That is true. So when we talk about the 8-bit era, we're probably going to focus a lot more on the SNES. I'm sorry, not the SNES, moving ahead. We're going to focus a little bit more probably on the NES because, you know, we've discussed before, I haven't really played a lot of Sega Master System games. Mm -hmm. And I think you've said you've played a few. Well, I had one later on. Um, My cousins had one. So I know enough about the master system that we can I can talk a little bit about it. Um, by no means am I some sort of an expert. I'm bound to get something wrong. Yeah, same here. Because the only ones I really have played any, you know, really played at all, uh, for at least for in the original format, were uh, Golden Axe Warrior and Fantasy Star game. One. Yeah, because I have the uh, Sonic ultimate uh, Genesis collection for the uh, Xbox 360. And those games are both unlockable extras. So I unlocked Golden Axe Warrior and Fantasy Star 1, and I had a chance to play those games. And so far, Golden Axe Warrior, it's, it's, I like it. I mm-hmm. mean, it's, it's obviously was inspired by The Legend of Zelda. It has yes. a lot of same game mechanics, but there are some differences like, I mean, I haven't played too far into it yet, but there is a town that you start in and, uh, you know, there are people that you interact with. Whereas in the first Legend of Zelda, the only time you interacted with people is when you found, you know, the, the old men or the old women who were selling the medicine or the moblins who, well, I guess it was a little bit more than I thought. Cause there are the moblins who said, you know, it's a secret to everyone. Or there's the ones who are like, pay me for the door repair. And then, you had the old women who were running the gambling. Or was it the men or women that did the gambling? Uh, it was the men. The woman did the pay me and I'll talk and then the medicine. Okay. Yeah, that's right. And the men had the ga- the let's play money-making game. Because, yeah, I remember that with Legend of Zelda with the old woman and the, the pay me and I'll talk where it's like, I, I think you did some of the higher ones. She's like, boy, you're rich. It's like, gee, thanks. Yeah, you actually had to go for the middle one to get her to say anything. Exactly. and It was the one where she actually explained to you how to get through the Lost Woods. Yeah. You know, something useful. Because I think, yeah, usually if you, if you spent the least amount of money, 
she would just say like, I'm not, you know, I'm not. That ain't enough to talk. Yeah, exactly. And so, well, let's talk about Zelda since we've kind of segued into that. Can I brag? I can still beat the original Zelda without dying. (laughs) Yeah, I. Shackalaka. Yeah, I have not tried doing a complete no-die run-through of Zelda yet. That's something maybe I'll try sometime, but, uh, I mean, really, that is probably, for me, it is one of the most influential games that I've ever played. And as I said, I did an an 8-bit flashback episode where I just talked about some of my memories of it and why I felt it was influential. So when we look at it, uh, again, for those of you who maybe haven't had a chance to either listen to that episode or watch the video, when you first played Zelda, what was the most influential part of Zelda for you? For me? Yes. Exploring. Oh, yeah. I remember the first time playing that. No idea where I was going. Um, everything was just weird and strange, which really added to the appeal. Yep, and part of the fun was, okay, I'm going to try burning down this tree. I'm going to try placing a bomb here. And, you know, you always, when the first time you were playing through, you always felt that little joy when you heard that do-do-do-do-do-do-do. But, of course, then you found there, there there were the people who, you know, pay me for the door repair. So it's like, you know, you would try yeah, to remember. Fun. Yeah, it's like you try to remember if you haven't done that in a while. It's like, okay, is this one of the pay me for the door repair or is this one of the people who gives me free money? And we didn't have people making maps and putting them online. For yeah. Us. We didn't uh, have the internet to go to. Yeah, you rotten kids. Get off our lawn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you young whippersnappers um, don't know how good you have it. When we wanted to find out some secret, we had to do it ourselves. Or we had to talk no, we to didn't. one of we our buddies. No, we also had Nintendo Power, to be fair. <laughs> yes, after a while we did have Nintendo Power. Or, um, you know, sometimes you had that one friend who was like the master of every video game and he knew all the secrets. And if he's listening, hi, Dave. <laughs> so that was probably one of the things that I think really made Zelda so appealing is that exploration. You know, as mm-hmm. I said in my flashback, you had a world to explore you weren't just running from one side of the screen to the other or like you know like in super mario brothers or it's not like um donkey kong you're just trying to get to the top of the screen or frogger you're just trying to cross the road it's you know yeah you had a world to explore well part of the appeal of games like frogger and pac-man though to be fair um, was the fact that they were those point-based games, and it was a lot of bragging rights, especially in situations where you were playing Frogger, Pac-Man, or Space Invaders at, like, you know, the local... The Chuck E. Cheese or the, the Chuck E. Cheese. Arcade. Sure, and, it, and, and your initials would st- stay up there for a month or two. Well, you know, okay. there's, there's probably a lot of that. people out there, from my experience when I would hang out in arcades, there's a lot of people that have the initials, like... I don't know if it's like Alexander Stephen Smith or Alice Stephanie Schultz. I was about to say, yeah, half the time, <laughs> though, it wasn't your initials that you were putting in there. It was ASS or yeah, any other thing that sounded like a cussing word. Yeah, it's like, hey, look, I got the top score. I'm going to put ASS. I'm awesome. Oh, I knew a guy. He he thought he was the coolest thing in the world. He's like, check this out, check this out. I put boob in there. Yeah, but if it's only three letters. What you actually spelled was Bob. <laughs> yeah, Bob, and- you're not Bob. Shut up, man. <laughs> yeah, and again, that's one of the things about Zelda. It's it was one of the first games I remember playing that wasn't point based. The objective wasn't to just get a high score. I mean, yeah, you had to rescue the princess, but. I said it wasn't as po- it wasn't point based like the you know a lot of the other games at the time were and uh, one of again I mentioned this in my flashback episode but it, it's worth repeating because mm-hmm. I I think this is it, it's just really an interesting fact to know is that uh, Shigeru Miyamoto the creator of Zelda now do you know do you happen to know what experience from childhood inspired him to create Zelda in the way it did? I do not. Tell me here. Well, uh, when he was a kid, he would often explore the countryside around his home. And that's one of the things that really inspired him to make this game of exploration. 
And I remember he was saying one of his most notable experiences is he found a cave that he didn't know about. Mm -hmm. So he eventually worked up the courage to go home and get a lantern and go explore the cave. So that's something that I think a lot of us can relate to that whole, you know, exploration. And that's one of the things that really made Zelda Mm -hmm. great. Now, let me ask you this, because when I when I was growing up and we first had it, when you finally found something, we were going to say like level one, for example. Yep. Did did you always like at least for a while you followed that exact same path even though it was considerably further out of the way than if you went directly to level one because that was the way you knew? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's pretty much. And of course, one of the other things about Zelda with the mazes is just trying to find your own shortcuts through them, you know, so that you could save keys. So yeah, just there. Oh, like I said, I, I could probably do a lot more on Zelda, but oh sure, let's. Let's move on to another game that was very prominent for the the Nintendo in this era. One, probably one of the first NES games that a lot of people played, Super Mario Brothers. Mm-hmm. So what do you think was so influential about Mario? There was an interesting thing about this game where I, you know, much like Zelda, there was an ending. Mm-hmm. And people wanted to be the guy who beat the game. But it also had points. It was almost like a transitional thing. Like the points were there for the sole reason of making like the, the, the old style players happy. Oh, look, there's points. Yeah. And it brought them into the story storyline play. Which, you know, the problem is, though, of course, the points were almost kind of meaningless because it reset when you powered down the game. So if you... they weren't completely pointless, though. Yes. I'm going to tell you, let me throw that out here. Do you remember, say, you know, when you jumped up? On the flagpole, you brought the flag down. If you did that at a certain time, I believe it was, uh, you know, with like a nine. No, zero, one, three, or six. Yeah, the fireworks. Yep. So, yeah, there was that. And uh, I think one of the other things that really made Super Mario Brothers so popular, well, we we can't discount the fact that it was a packing game for the deluxe NES set. Uh, Mm -hmm. which, of course, came with Duck Hunt as well. And I'm not sure if they had Super Mario Brothers by itself bundled with the other set, because I remember when the NES came out, of course, they had the the master set. Well, I'm not sure what they called it, but it was the one with with, with the robot and the gun. Um, The one that I think probably most people had was probably the... You know the one with Mario and Duck Hunt, uh, the and of course the dog. Yeah, and of course they came out. Eventually, they came out with the one with the mat. So that had Mario, Duck Hunt, and world class track. track meet. Yeah, it was either that or track and field. It was something like that. Track, yeah, track and field was a Konami game. This, oh was, right, yeah, uh, track world class track meet was the NES. Or was an world class track meet was the one that was made by Nintendo. And I know they did sell a version of the NES that, you know, just had the NES and a couple controllers, but I don't know if that one came with a packing game or not. No, it didn't, and it dropped it by like 50 bucks. You could buy Super Mario on its own, though. I know it yeah. was out there somewhere. It was, and I and Duck Hunt was too, but yeah, I think I, I wouldn't surprise me if just the majority of people out there, you know, who had Nintendos back then, you're first game was probably Super Mario and Duck Hunt. And one mm-hmm. of the things that I think Mario really nailed it for its day was the play control. Because in a lot of platforming games, when you jumped, you know, you went a certain number of spaces forward. You had no control over your trajectory. And, you know, so if you jumped, like, remember Castlevania, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, the, you know, in a game like Castlevania, though, actually, I think Castlevania came out after Mario, but you know, a lot of the games at this time, you know, you Mm -hmm. jumped and let's say you move four squares forward when you jump. Well, if you overshot what you were trying to jump at, you died, you know, you fell in a pit or something where Mario, you actually had a little bit more control over where you landed. And that's one of the things that I think really made Mario super Mario brothers such a hit as it did give you that little bit of extra control Mm -hmm. that, you know, made the game a little easier. I think another cool thing about Mario that it introduced was the fact that it had these secret methods for beating it. 
Yep, the warp the, zones. Mm-hmm. And, and the negative zone. Yep, the minus world, which I, I it had something. There's some glitch. I mean, I I remember seeing a video on YouTube that explained why the minus world happened. Mm-hmm. I don't remember all the computer programming stuff because, of course, back then, you know, we all thought it was just some secret world that was programmed in there. Yeah, even it was though, just a glitch. Yeah, even though there's no real point to it, um, you know, you basically just keep swimming until you die. So the the only real point to the minus world is just to say, hey, I made it to the minus world. Because it was hard to get to. Yeah, because you, know? you had to time your jump just right. Mm-hmm. And... There were some other nifty secrets there, like there was in some of the worlds where they had the turtles come down. Yeah. You know, you could do the infinite one-ups trick, but if you got to too many lives, you died. Mm-hmm. And then there, of course, was the jumping the flagpole glitch as well, hmm. which I think there's only a certain, there's only a few worlds where you can do it. Again, go to YouTube and you'll find the videos for it, but yeah, it is possible mm-hmm. to to jump over the flagpole it's just when you keep running you don't you know nothing happens you just keep going until the time runs out and you die did you ever make it to the to the minus world yes i have me too it, like i said it wasn't easy but it was fun yeah and i've never actually played super mario brothers all the way through mm-hmm. i admit i've always done the the warp zone cheats so i don't know one of these days i'm gonna have to try playing it all the way through with no cheats and it's not easy, but I've I've done it like once or twice. Yeah, and of course one of the things about Mario that does make it so influential is people are still playing it today. How there are people who've tried to beat it in the shortest possible time. And there was one video I saw where someone actually beat it with the minimal score possible. Because hmm. you had to basically avoid killing anything. You had to avoid you know, all the coins, all the mushrooms, and you basically had to jump on the flagpole at just the right time, just as it hit, like, you know, one, uh, one second left on the time clock. So, yeah, like, I think the absolute minimum is, like, I think, like, four or 500 points. That's a brutal one. Yeah, and then the, I think the current world record, official world record for beating... Uh, the the game is like four minutes fifty nine some seconds. Jeez, that's yeah, that's insane. So, and, and again, it just shows how influential though that game has. Uh, you know, the fact that people are still playing it sort of, you know, so fanatically. And uh, it, another thing we look at both with Zelda, Mario, and some of the other NES games at this time mm-hmm. is these franchises of are still going. You know, of course, every time a a new system comes out, there's going to be a new Mario game. And, you know, Zelda, of course, is still going strong. Do you want to talk a little bit about Castlevania, or is that a game you'd prefer not to talk about? Go ahead. Okay, because for me, this the thing that really impressed me for the time is the graphics and the music of the game. Because I this is just my personal opinion. I think the graphics were a bit more detailed on Castlevania than a lot of the other games at that time. So, and then the music, which again, I've talked about before, I don't know. It's just something about almost all of the Castlevania games I've played have had really good music. I just feel that a lot of them just really capture the mood. Mm -hmm. And then of course, Castlevania would go on to release two more, uh, Simon's quest and Dracula's curse. You ever played either of those two? Um, no, no, I have not. Yeah, I mostly played uh, Bloodlines on the Genesis and Symphony of the Night. Yeah, because this is one of the things I've always loved about the Castlevania series is how they have tried to make they've tried to do different things with each of the entries in the series. Mm-hmm. Uh, where because one of the faults I'd say with Mario, and I don't know if you feel this way too. Mario hasn't been as innovative, I think, as some of these other long-term franchises. Okay. How come? Well, you look at a lot of the Mario games, it's essentially the same general thing with different sets of power-ups. You're pretty much running from one side of the screen to the other and jumping on platforms. But with the exception of, you know, sometimes you'll get the different power-ups, a lot of the core gameplay 
stays the same. Whereas Castlevania has done a little bit more experimentation. I mean, if we're just going to stick to the 8-bit era, one of the things that uh, that uh, Castlevania 2, Simon's Quest did, mm-hmm. is it added RPG elements. And instead, where you leveled up. And also you had townsfolk to interact with, though half of the time their quotes were either mistranslated, so they didn't make sense, or they were intentionally telling lies. Um, the yeah, and there's there, somebody stole play out of Gary Gygax's book. <laughs> yeah, and there's uh, it's for the, those little annoyances. It's still mm-hmm. one of, it's still a good game, and the it, instead of being linear, uh, you actually had a world to explore where you had to go to different towns, and there were different things you had to do to get to certain areas. Uh, Castlevania three it returned to the you know the the linear routes however you know with the timed levels however mm-hmm. it did do a few couple things different and this is one of the things i love about it is you there's three companion spirits you get to meet along the way grant uh Sypha, and of course our buddy alucard mm-hmm. and uh, also the it's non well the levels are designed linearly but you have a game map and there's certain points where you have to choose which route you want to take. And the ending does change depending on which one of uh, the companions you have with you when you finally beat the game. You know, there was another game like that, that had, that was fairly nonlinear, almost uh, sandboxy in its own way. You still had things that you had to do monsters. You had to kill, but you could do it in almost any way any way you wanted, if you could do it, was uh, Metroid. Yep, and that's another one which I don't think it's had as many games as Zelda or or uh, Mario. There's a reason. Why is that? Okay, so they did Metroid, and Metroid was the brainchild of Gunpei, Gunpei Yokoi. That was his baby. And and he was the one who was behind the first Metroid, and then Metroid 2 in the Game Boy, and then, then Super Metroid on the SNES. He passed away, and because of that, they they were planning on never doing another another Metroid game out of respect, but the fans kept pestering him. So eventually, by the time the uh, GameCube came around, Nintendo relented, and, and I believe it was Metroid Prime that came out. Yeah, and then there was also a Metroid Fusion on the Game Boy Advance, but I don't know if that came before or after the GameCube. Okay, came so, after Prime. Okay, because okay, that I was wondering why they never, mm-hmm. uh, why they it took so long for them to make a uh, other Mar- other Metroid games because that was one of those games that made you feel like a, ma- a rat in a maze. Yeah. Oh, and then that's the thing. I don't know anybody. Well, I guess I, I shouldn't say it that way, but I, almost everybody I know who plays or played Metroid. They didn't do it in the way that they meant to. You were all, you know, the book and everything recommended you killed Craig first. Craig was boss number one. Ridley was boss number two. Everybody I knew went and killed Ridley first. Yeah, I, I never played through the entire game. Usually when I, the only times I beat the game is I used the cheat code for Justin Bailey, mm-hmm. where, uh, you know, of course, the big one for that is you started out as the female Samus because... In the, well, they're they're all female. It's just well, yeah. she's not wearing her costume. Yeah, and this of course led to all sorts of rumors that there was a bikini version and even a nude version of Samus. But you know that that those just were rumors. And um, the other thing that I remember was so memorable about Metroid is there was the hidden world rumor, mm-hmm. which uh, again I don't know if uh, if you're if you know. Or if you ever heard of the reason why there is that so-called hidden world? It glitches through the doors, if I remember right. Yeah, it's because there's this trick called the wall jump, where mm. you shoot the door and you go through just enough that you don't pass to the next screen, and then when the door, op- you know, closes around you, you start jumping and like pressing up and down on the control pad. It's risky to do this because it is possible for you to get stuck, but if you do it in just the right area you get to these really weird-looking parts of the game. And for the longest time, and I remember Nintendo Power even mentioning this too, they thought it was a hidden world, as it it was a place that was supposed to be programmed into the game, but wasn't. And 
There's a series I watch. I haven't watched it in a long time, but it's called Pop Fiction. Mm-hmm. It's like Mythbusters, but with video games. Mm-hmm. And they did an episode where they debunked that. And, well, it's not really a hidden world, but you're basically getting the game to glitch out. Because the way they explained it is that when you're moving around in the game, the depending on your coordinates, the game loads two sets of data. Room data and the data for any monsters that are supposed to be in there. Mm-hmm. Now, when you're doing the wall jump, you're basically doing something the programmers didn't anticipate. So you get the game confused where it starts loading incorrect room data or incorrect uh, monster data, which is what causes the you know the whole hidden world. So we didn't know that at the time, but we just still thought it was pretty cool. And that was another one of those bragging rights things where it's like, hey, I discovered the hidden world. What about you? You know, and then here's the thing. You you know that I can completely destroy both Metroid and, and Super Metroid. Yep. Never done it. Never got never did the wall jump thing. Hmm. I I can't do it. Yeah, I've tried. I I usually get a little bit up and then I die, but you know, when you speak about Metroid and some of the influence it's had, while well, we were talking about Castlevania. And again, we discussed this during the console war episode where uh, the, you know, the programmers for Castlevania kind of took the whole uh, hint from Metroid and created a style of play that some people call, some people call Metvania, some people call it Castleroid, where, again, these Castlevania games that have a very Metroid feel. Yes. And I don't remember where I heard this and if this is true or a net legend, but... You know what movie was supposedly one of the influences for Metroid? Hmm. Alien. I could see it. Yeah, because it was supposed to give you a real feeling of isolation. How, hmm. you know, you're in this base, there's no there's no allies, there's no friendlies. You're just basically you against a whole horde of monsters. Now, another game that I remember being quite fond of back in the day, which unfortunately didn't really... Well, it had a long period of dormancy, but it recently came back. Kid Icarus. Really? Did you ever play? I, I played the original Kid Icarus. It was a lot of fun. I didn't know. I didn't know that they they tried to resurrect that. Yeah, they did. Cause well, there, originally there was Kid Icarus, and then Kid Ic- and then uh, Kid Icarus Two, uh, a Myth and Monsters for the Game Boy. After that, we didn't hear anything from Pit until Super Smash Brothers Brawl. When he returned as one of the player characters, and then after that, they had Kid Icarus Uprising, and I, okay, I'm not sure if they're making a sequel to that right now or not, Mm -hmm. but that was another one of those games where, as I said, it, I don't know if we really want to call it influential because, while it was a fun game for the time, it, it hasn't really gotten its due, I guess you could say. I, I think two games that would be considerably more influential than Kid Icarus would be um, both Final Fantasy and Dragon Warrior. Oh, yeah, we can't forget those. You're going to know more about Dragon Warrior than I do because I've only played the first one, and I've seen you or other friends play, like, two and three, Mm -hmm. but beyond that, I'm not familiar with Dragon Warrior. But, yeah, Final Fantasy, I mean, it's still going, and... Now, granted, like any long-running series, it's had its highs and it's had its lows. But, you know, the fact that they're still making these games, that has to say something, you know? How many of the Final Fantasy games have you played uh, after the first one? Um, maybe only two or three, four, okay. something like that. Yeah, I've played a couple more. I mean, I I played Final Fantasy one, both the original and the Dawn of Souls I've, version. I've played... Uh, Final Fantasy 2 on Dawn of Souls for the Game Boy Advance, uh, Final Fantasy 4, Final Fantasy 4 The After Years, uh, Final Fantasy 6, and then I recently started playing Final Fantasy 13. And one of the... Now, I don't want to go too much into the topic of role-playing game battle system because I do want to do an entire show about that eventually. Mm-hmm. But one of the things I have liked about the Final Fantasy is that they have made a lot of changes to that over the years where... Um, after like I think two, they tried to do different things with uh, the the characters. Mm-hmm. Now I haven't played three, but I mean when we got to four, 
one of the things that was different about that from one, because remember for us old schoolers, for the longest time, we thought Final Fantasy IV was actually Final Fantasy II, because because that's what it was on the SNES. Mm-hmm. And you know, you had each of your characters where you know each one had their different abilities. You know, Kane could jump, Edge could throw weapons, and he also had his ninja magic. And then, you know, C- Cecil when he became a plaid and he could block and shield his allies as well as cast white magic and so on. Uh, so that, I think, was a big step forward. And then, of course, Final Fantasy III did the same thing, where each one, character had their own special abilities, and then they mm-hmm. had the espers. So it's one of those series that has continually evolved, and I think that's why it's remained alive over the years. Well, and I think one of the big reasons that both those games were so influential, Dragon Warrior and Final Fantasy, was the fact that they were the ones that really established the traditions in RPGs of turn-based systems, the overhead maps. Leveling up. Yeah, various parts of exploration, skills, and all sorts of things like that. When we look back, okay, these games were coming out in, you know, the mid, you know, mid-80s or so. Mm-hmm. Do you think one of the reasons those games got popular is because this was a time when Dungeons & Dragons and other tabletop role-playing games were starting to become more popular? I think that's part of it. The 1980s, for a lot of people and for various different reasons, were very heavily steeped in the idea of science fiction and fantasy. Um, You can blame, you know, you can say Dungeons and Dragons had a big part of that. I think you can look at a lot of your um, 80s heavy metal artists had a lot of fantasy imagery that really helped play into that. You had movies that were both sci-fi and fantasy like um, Star Wars. Uh, You also had Conan. You had uh, Willow and all sorts of things. So it was all out there. You know, and I think it was riding high. That is true because definitely there's I can see what you're saying where you know, I think the so some of the stuff happening in pop culture fed into the video game market in many Mm -hmm. ways. Even then there were a lot of authors at that point that were became you know popular with that style of of books you had you know terry brooks and ann mccaffrey even stephen king was writing fantasy for a while and and we've talked about this when we did our console wars that the nintendo was a little bit more towards the rpgs than the sega was mm-hmm. because i mean i know there was you know the the fantasy star that was the main rpg on sega genesis I'm sorry, not the Genesis, the Master System. Yeah. There may have been others. I'm not, I can't really name any off well, the top of my head. You had mentioned, um, uh, what is it? Golden Axe Warrior, mm-hmm. Golvelius, the Valley of Doom. There was that uh, one that you don't know the name of because your cousins basically uh, gutted Stole the, it? Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, let's not mince words here. Because I have played Fantasy Star for a couple of hours and honestly, it's a lot slower paced, I think, than some of the other RPGs I played at that era. And honestly... There's a lot less plot introduction. Yeah, because of the couple hours I've spent playing it so far, all I'm doing is just walking around in circles. I'm still on just having the first character because it's actually quite difficult. I mean, I've had a lot of fights where it's like, mm-hmm. you know, the enemies take off like you know, a third or a fourth of your hit points. So I'm I'm not sure why it got as popular as it did, considering its difficulty, but maybe it just found the right audience because, of course, Fantasy Star did go on to spawn uh, its own series. It had like two, three, four, and I think there was a Fantasy Star online. There was. And I don't know. I haven't heard any plans to resurrect Fantasy Star. Mm-mm. I haven't either. Yeah. Um. You know, and then, of course, then also in the 8-bit area, the Ultima games come oh, out. Yeah. There yes. was all Quest for the Avatar and Ultima Exodus. Yep. Oh, and there is another one that, because I remember when we did our, our console wars, I mentioned we mentioned that there were only two Ultima games for the, the, the Nintendo. Mm-hmm. There were actually three. There was mm, okay. Exodus, Quest of the Avatar, and I believe the other one was Runes of Virtue. Okay. Where this one, I think, actually took more... Uh, it looked very similar to Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves for the NES. 
That was a surprisingly good game. Yeah, that, Robin Hood. Yeah, that was a good game. Um, but yeah, Ultima, and then I think there were only like one or two Ultima games for the Super Nintendo. I'm not sure, but yeah, we had three for the Nintendo, mm-hmm. and I, you know, of course, we mentioned some of the D and D games, uh, Pool of Radiance. Heroes of the Lance, which Heroes of the Lance appeared on both the Sega Master System and the the NES. Yeah. And as I recall, the Master System one actually looked a little better than the NES one. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that I think the Eight Bit series had going it was the first. It was the first generation of games that I, or uh, yeah, it was the first generation of of systems that managed to give players a reasonably accurate um, arcade game port. Yeah, we weren't quite to the same level of accuracy as we would start to see with the 16-bit era. Yeah. But you look at some of them like, have, have you ever played the uh, Gauntlet for the NES? Oh, sure. I mean, it does a few things different than <laughs> the... Uh, than the arcade version, mm-hmm. but you know, still considering it's not not bad. No, it's still a solid game. Yeah, um, and then I'm trying to think of some of the other Spy Hunter. I actually enjoy the NES version of Spy Hunter better than the arcade versions I have on the you know the Midway arcade compilation mm-hmm. discs, or um, the second Turtles game. Which oh. was the car, uh, the the uh, the arcade, the arcade game. game? Yep, yeah, that was a blast. Yeah, and again, still fairly faithful to the the, the arcade game. Of course, mm-hmm. they, you know, of course, we have to understand them. They're not going to get the same level of graphics, but no. the gameplay is there. And they even and added a to couple be other fair, levels. The gameplay is also kind of a rip off of Double Dragon, but in a way, know, you got to admit it's well, very. It depends. Very which, Double Dragon esque. That I'm going to disagree with you because in Double Dragon you actually had a greater variety of moves. Even mm. if you just go with the arcade games, uh, not only could you punch and you know kick and jump kick, but you could throw people and you could headbutt. So Double Dragon did give you a little bit better range of moves. Now, when you talk about the NES version of Double Dragon, though, that one actually ended up turning out way different than the arcade, and in some ways, I think it's even better off for it. Now, did you ever play the NES version of Double Dragon? Oh, sure. Yeah, where you had the leveling up. So, And, of course, the reason that these arcade to home system ports did sometimes turn out very different is because we have to keep in mind the nature of an arcade game versus a home game. You know, that that arcade game, that's meant to gobble as many quarters from you as possible. Where a home game, hopefully anyway, the developers are trying to make the game so that you can get as much playability out of it as possible. I I think part of it, to to even to to go away from the actual games itself, part of the reason I think the 8-bit series era was so popular was the fact that, you know, there... For so many of us, it was this, you know, uh, rose-tinted past of, you know. That is true, because, I mean, for those of us who, you know, for our first home console that we Mm -hmm. ever played, if it was like the Atari 2600 or a ColecoVision or Intellivision, when we did see the NES and the Sega Master System, Yeah, it was light years ahead. And, you know, I mean, with just the Atari to NES, you went from one button to two. So, yeah, there was definitely a step forward there. And I think it's more than just the rose-tinted glasses, as you put it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because the games, you know, we had games that had password saves now. And, again, you had some like Zelda and Dragon Warrior where it had the battery backup. You know, mm-hmm. which you, you didn't have in the era of the, you know, the the Atari and ColecoVision and Intellivision. Certainly didn't have the Konami code. Yes, that's true. Ooh. Oh, yes. Another game that uh, has had a lot of influence, I think, in that it, it did go off and spawn several other games. Did you ever play much of the Mega Man games? Not much. 
I I've seen them. I they look pretty cool, but I never really played them. Yeah, because I've played a few of them. Um, the original Mega Man series mm-hmm. went off to. I mean they they had Mega Man one through six for the NES, uh, Mega Man seven for the uh, for the Super Nintendo. Then there was Mega Man eight for I believe the PlayStation. And then on the virtual console for the Wii, they released Mega Man's 9 and then Mega Man 10. And then that had its own spin-off series, Mega Man X. Mm-hmm. So, which I think Mega Man X got up to like seven or eight games too. So I'd say Mega Man's been pretty successful as oh, well. Sure. And uh, Mega Man has also, uh, you know, of course, seen its own versions for like the Game Boy and some of the portable systems as well. Now let's take a look at some games that maybe weren't extremely influential and in that they didn't go off and spawn series and franchises that would have a dozen games in it, but maybe we really enjoyed nonetheless. So are there any games that you think are underrated or undiscovered treasures for the NES? Crystallis. Oh yeah, that was a lot of fun. Uh, another one that I really enjoyed was Willow. That was pretty good, too, yeah. Yeah, and the thing about Willow is there was an arcade game of Willow, but it was a side-scrolling platform game. Mm-hmm. And then when it came to the NES, they turned it into more of a Zelda-type game. So it was actually a lot of fun, but the... And this is just a rumor. I, I don't know if this is verified or not, but I've heard a rumor that supposedly Willow was planned to be a different game entirely, because mm-hmm. the story behind the Willow for the NES goes beyond the movie. You know, you do tons of things for that game that, you know, never happen at all in the movie. So that got some people are thinking, well, maybe that it was originally intended to be a different game, but then they decided to slap the Willow property on it and they turned it into a Willow game. Mm-hmm. Um Oh, yes, another... How, oh, go ahead. How about uh, Goonies 2? Oh, I love that game. That had another... That was another Metroid-esque game. Yeah. Where, again, you, you're kind of this rat in a maze, and to make things even more fun, they had the... There was, like, the front part of the base and the back part of their hideout. In the Fratellis. Yeah, you had to do them, and... You had to find all of your friends. You had to get keys first. Mm-hmm. Then you had to find six of your friends before you could go save... Uh, Annie the Mermaid. Annie the Mermaid, yeah. The the Goonies 2 MacGuffin. Yep, which, you know, it's definitely a lot different from the first Goonies video game, which I believe they only got in Japan, and I don't know if they got in the European Union at all. Mm-hmm. But did you ever play Goon- the first Goonies video game? I did not. Yeah, it. if you remember Aladdin's Castle, the arcade at the mall we used to go to as yeah. kids, they had the Play Choice 10. Mm-hmm. And it was one version there where uh, in this one, there's actually some elements that did carry over to the second one because you find items that can help protect you from certain environmental hazards. But a lot of it is just Mikey running around kicking rats and occasionally a Fratelli brother. <laughs> but it was still a lot of fun. Uh, so yeah, Willow, Crystallis were both awesome games. Oh yes, when we talk about games that you know were may have been meant to be something else but then eventually became a licensed game. There's one that actually went the reverse, where it was supposed to be a licensed game, but then went to becoming its own thing, Journey to Silius. Okay. Which, the thing that I re- is most remarkable about this game, I think, is its music. For an 8-bit game, it has a really good music score, and the graphics are actually pretty good, too. Mm-hmm. I'd have to say, of all the games I've played that, des- that define the term NES hard... Journey to Silius is probably one of them because you have three continues to make it through the game. Mm-hmm. There's no one-ups. Each continue, you get three lives. And life refilling power-ups are very rare. But other than that, it's a fun game. And the thing about it is originally uh, Sunsoft was going to make a game based on Terminator, mm-hmm. you know, the, first, the first Terminator movie. But unfortunately, they lost the license. So while they had the game, so they, you know, set. So what they did is they just changed the name, changed some sprites, and changed the story. But if you ever play through the game, I could actually see that working as a Terminator video game. Okay. 
Do you did you ever play Little Nemo the Dream Master? Yes, I have. That was a an undiscovered gem to me. I really enjoyed that one. The music was pretty good, as I recall, as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because Capcom they've made some they made some good games, and I know they did a lot of the Disney games. Yeah, some of them were good, others were mediocre, and then there were some that are probably best left not talked about. <laughs> Oh, yes, another game that I really had a lot of fun with. Mm-hmm. Remember River City Ransom? I do. Yes, because you basically ran around and you beat up on people. Mm-hmm. So that game was definitely a lot of fun. But it but was... didn't that game also have a lot of RPG elements to it? It had some, because when you went to the, the different stores, mm-hmm. there was food you would buy. And food not only restored your life... But sometimes you'd eat some food and it'd be like, okay, your weapon goes up by one, your speed goes up by two, your strength goes up by two. And I remember Nintendo Power actually had a very helpful issue where they not only printed a map, but they printed all the different foods as well as what it gave you. Fun fact, did you know that River City Ransom is actually a sequel to a different game? What game? Well, we got it as Renegade. Okay. Which yep. Renegade, I remember Renegade. Yeah, it was kind of forgettable. It wasn't the best game I've ever played. But I'm assuming it wasn't based on the Lorenzo Lamas TV show. <laughs> no, it wasn't. But the the reason you wouldn't know that they're related is because of localization. Mm-hmm. The because if you ever seen sprites of the characters in the Japanese versions, they're wearing Japanese schoolboy outfits. Mm-hmm. But then when you know, they brought it to the America. They decided to, instead of making them schoolboys, well, at least for the, you know, the first one for Renegade, you know, they just redrew them to be like generic street thugs and a generic street fighter guy. And then the, of course, the Americanized version of River City Ransom, just guys in jeans and a t-shirt. And it's because if they saw, you know, because for the Americas, well, not many schools have uniforms. Yeah. You know, I mean, if you're going to a private school, yeah, but, uh, you know, if American audience, if they would have seen a bunch of guys running around in these schoolboy uniforms, they would have been like, what the heck is this? What is this like? Um, uh, St. Marguerite's Ransom? <laughs> yeah. And actually, I think the, because if my memory serves me correctly, I think the actual translation for the, the River City Ransom game was mm-hmm. like, hot-blooded downtown teenage love story or something like that. <laughs> just right. rolls just rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Most most, most translated Japanese is, is like that, yeah. Yeah. And technically it did have a spin-off series. Uh it was a dodgeball game mm-hmm. which and then there was an, I think it was called like Crash in the Boys Street Challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh but yeah, I'm not going to get too much into it, but yeah, River City Ransom was a lot of fun. There were a lot of, of, of walking around and beating guys up games, though, in, in, in the NES era. And I'm not just talking like, cause, cause, you know, you can say most games are like that, but mm-hmm. I'm talking like you, you're literally just some sort of a martial artist or, you know, street fighting walking dude and you just punch, punching on people. Yep. Uh, you know, you had Ninja Gaiden, you had Shinobi, you had, a, there were tons of them. Oh, Shinobi. And I'm sorry, not Shinobi. Ninja Gaiden. If you mm-hmm. want yeah, you want another game that defines NES hard, mm-hmm. it is the Ninja Gaiden games. Because mm-hmm. uh, I don't know how many of them you've played. Just the first. Yeah, I've played one, two, and three. And it's like, you know, enemies, the thing that a lot of it, getting that through that game is really memorizing the patterns because mm-hmm. everything is set up in such a way that. You know, they're going to knock you into a pit and make you die. And the thing that really is a pain in the butt is how the enemies often will restock. Where, you know, even if you go a little bit off, you kill a guy. You go a little bit back off the screen, you go back and, oh, he's there again. Oh, that's rough. Oh, yes. And speaking of another NES hard, Mm -hmm. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. You know what? I really enjoyed that game, but it got to a point where... I considered getting, you know, de- defeating the tech- Technodrome. That that was close enough to winning. <laughs> yeah, and I've heard Shredder is even worse, but that's one of those games with controller-throwing difficulty where, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, so um, 
See, I, I, I've seen one person. I've only known one person who actually got to Shredder. Who is that? Your, my brother. My brother, yeah. <laughs> but I, I mean, I have to say, I think that it, that was a, it was a fun game. I mean, I, I did enjoy it, even though I got into the Technodrome, but I never actually made it to Shredder. Oh, sure. I got like maybe 20 feet or whatever you want to say <laughs> into the Technodrome before it died. Yeah. Did you ever play Shinobi? Uh, yes, I've played the arcade version and then I've played uh, Shinobi 1 and I'm sorry, Shinobi 2 and 3 for the Genesis. Okay. I have Shinobi 1 for the Master System. It, it is very much like the original Ninja Gaiden. Um, but I always liked it a little bit better. I don't know why. Well, I think from the Shinobi. It's not as brutally difficult as mm-hmm. Ninja Gaiden is, uh, even though, like, with Shinobi, you only take one hit. So, it, but still, despite that, I don't think it's as difficult as Ninja Gaiden is. Yeah. Now, I know we haven't really talked about sports games, but I'm going to be honest with you. When it comes to sports games, there's always been a slow progression of advances. Yeah. So there's really not much to say there other than the fact that 8-bit sports games, that was really where we got the introduction of licensed games. Yep, because we had NFL games, we had NBA games. Mm-hmm. Um, like at first, like the first Tecmo Bowl, the Bases Loaded, Bases Loaded 2, these were some popular ones. They still use generic teams, generic players. Reggie Jackson Baseball for the um, – Master System had a little more about you know real players, but it still used generic teams. I believe one of the first ones though was Tecmo Super Bowl, which had actual teams and players. Yep, and we've already talked about Bo Jackson in that game, where mm-hmm. you know you get the ball to, to Bo Jackson and just run around, and no one can catch you, and it's totally broken. But yeah, and we again we did talk about this before and I, I apologize that I know a lot of the stuff we've talked about we mentioned in the eight bit uh I'm sorry in the console wars episodes but one of the things that was so awesome about the games for the the eight bit is they started to look a little bit more like the sport they were supposed to be mm-hmm. you know it wasn't just a bunch of dots moving around on the screen so we're about ready to close the episode because it's been quite been uh we've been talking for over an hour though i know it's going to be a little shorter once we once i edit the episode down any final closing thoughts dan uh what are the benefits is is that you guys can probably pick up an awful lot of these games right now on any number of the uh download uh systems for the new ones like you know you have the um the virtual Nintendo console, eShop has yep. a virtual console. I know you can download some classic games for both uh, on both the Xbox One and the PS4. Yep, and what's nice about the virtual console is they don't just have NES and and uh, Super NES games. They do have Genesis games and Master mm-hmm. System games, and they've even introduced a few other ones like uh, the TurboGrafx-16 games as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah, and... There are some compilation discs out there, like the, I know Capcom did release a Mega Man compilation set for, well, both Mega Man and Mega Man X uh, for Xbox oh, yeah. and PlayStation. Um, and, and you know what? You know, old school gaming, it, 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 I guess you could say it never really went away. No. But it, there's, there's starting to become a collector's market. So... You know, there are places now where you can go and pick up some of these systems and games. You might pay a little bit, but, well, you know, like, for example, I paid 60 bucks to replace my Super Nintendo. Still cheaper than when it was brand new. Yeah, and when there there used to be a Mega Media Exchange here in my house, Mm -hmm. they were still charging about $50 for a Super Nintendo. And they were saying, it's like, yeah, people will buy them at that price. And and I think it's because a lot of the games that were released at these, you know, these early stages, there's just something about them that makes them fun to play, even if they're not as graphically or musically, mm-hmm. you know, advanced as some of the games that we play today are. Yeah. My PS2 took a dive. Um, I don't remember what happened. 
but it became completely unplayable. And I went to that mega media exchange before it went out of business and I replaced that my PS2 for 35 bucks and that thing doubled as a, as a, as a DVD player for a lot of us early on, Yep. you know? So I've, I paid more for a replacement SNES than I did for a replacement <laughs> PS2. Yeah. Let's keep that in mind. Yes. And who knows how much my Atari's worth now. Yeah. Well, any closing thoughts, Dan, before we end this episode? Um, why are I just asked that didn't I? Yes, you did. Okay, well, so- uh, that's okay. We can we can do it again. Okay. Uh, Mike Tyson's punch out impossible at the end. Yep, that was one of the games that I don't think I I, I liked playing up until I got to Mike Tyson. But, mm-hmm. So, Dan, where can people find you if they want to listen to more of your wit and wisdom? Well, um, you can hop on either uh, Twitter or iTunes or Facebook and look up Radio Free Borderlands. Hopefully some of you will understand the, you know, the joke there. And uh, you can you can download my content. Yep, and I have to say I do like your latest episode. Well, it's the latest episode at the time we're recording where you were talking about jumping between, you know, different game worlds. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned how you had your, your players kill these two prominent NPCs and you're like, sacred cows make the tastiest hamburgers. You know what, though? That's half the reason that they had so much fun with it. Mm hmm. You know? Tim was grinning for a week, and <laughs> I I cut cyan bloodbane in half. <laughs> and, of course, you can find me at POIGamestudio.com. You can download Point of Insanity Game Studios Geekery in general through iTunes or through Podbean. And, of course, you can find me on Facebook as well. Now, we are starting to get closer to the episode 100. I'd like to do something special for that episode. I have no idea what I'm going to do for episode 100, but I suppose since it's episode 100, I should probably try to do something out of the ordinary. So eh, You could. Yeah. But hey, if any of you have any ideas for topics you'd like to see me cover, either for episode 100 or just topics you'd like to see me cover for another episode, contact me through my website or leave a comment on Facebook, and I'll certainly be happy to take any suggestions to mind. So thanks again for listening, and have a good evening, or morning, or afternoon, whatever it is, wherever you are, and happy gaming.